We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode 711 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. Joining me today is an incredibly special guest who I'm so stoked to have on the show. Uh, he is a digital reporter for the Green Bay Packers. You can follow him at Wes Hod. Wes, thank you so much for joining me today. I have been uh, very much awaiting this day to be able to talk to you and talk some Packers, but welcome officially to the Pack-A-Day podcast. Hey, thanks, man. I hope I don't disappoint. That's quite the... Uh... The standard that you have me held up to. <laughs> no, not at all. I think you certainly earned it. Uh, I think the probably the most pressing issue. So, Hodkowitz, Hodkowitz. How how am I how am I going to butcher this name here? How am I going to get through the last name? Teach me. Yeah. So the the guys on the beat actually have a lot of fun with this. Nate Lacasio does too. Um, <laughs> this is kind of comical. My dad and I pronounce our last names differently. Um, That's funny. I pronounce it the Americanized kind of like phonetic way, which is Hodkowitz. Um, but if you call my dad's office right now, I always tell the story. You can call my dad's office right now and, and he'll say you've reached Don Hodkiewicz. Uh, he does the old Polish way, like Doug Menkiewicz, if you remember the, the old twins yeah. first baseman. He does it that way and I do it the Americanized way. And I guess neither one is technically wrong. It's just a little different. <laughs> that's incredible. That's a really interesting story. I've never heard of anything like that. So that's fantastic. Yeah, well, I want to cover 
<laughs> I bet. Well, I want to cover a variety of topics today uh, because it's not every day you get Wes Hot on the podcast. So uh, I know you've had a, a few different articles that came out recently. So I want to pick uh, pick your brain on each of those. And I want to start off with your most recent one uh, that kind of dealt with the wide receiver development. This has obviously been a oft talked about uh, topic throughout this offseason. I think everyone was kind of expecting Green Bay to go wide receiver heavy in the draft. They, of course, did address it in some capacity when they signed uh, Devin Funches in the offseason season, but I think everyone was kind of just expecting a little bit more. Your article kind of goes into the different wide receivers on the roster, that they still have some developmental guys that are uh, worth developing and that, uh, you know, maybe there's not exactly as many wide receiver snaps as there once was. Can you just kind of walk through that article and your kind of main takeaways from it? Yeah. The, the main thing I've been trying to illustrate with this, and I think, you know, Aaron Nagler's done a good job with it. And some people that are a little bit more uh, in tune with the, the team and in the direction things are going with Matt LaFleur They've been spot on about this, but from a national perspective, I think with the the fantasy football element, everybody loves the old school, you know, three and four wide receiver stuff that Mike McCarthy did, but that's just not what this offense looks like right now. That that isn't, you know, if, if things are going well and they're not playing from behind, uh, they're not going to be doing as much of that. So the only thing I tried to, to look at and dissect was one, uh, last year was the fewest amount of receiver snaps the Packers have had since the NFL in their game books actually began tallying snaps. And, you know, that that's down from around five, 600 snaps, for, you know, in 2014 and in 2015, 16. So, you know, it, it's not that the Packers couldn't have drafted a receiver that was on the table. And I think if you heard some of the, you know, read the tea leaves and sort of read between the lines, you know, there were a number of guys that I think Brian Gutekunst and his scouts were interested in, but they also had to make the best decision for them at number 30 and then ultimately number 26. So that wasn't the direction they went. So if you're going to have an offense where, you know, right off the bat, if Devonte Adams is playing, he's playing a thousand snaps, you know, and you have another 1700, 1800 snaps to go from there. How do you fill that? Well, Alan Lazard was a guy that I think stepped up last year. I think everything he did, there's no reason to believe that he can't do that again. I'm not guaranteeing he's going to be a thousand yard receiver, but he was effective in this offense. He caught passes in tight windows. And most importantly, he earned Aaron Rodgers respect. Devin Funches comes in. This is a guy that could play a multitude of positions. He might be looking even more like that Jimmy Graham replacement, not necessarily in the tight end sense, but, you know, doing some of the concepts that Graham did when he would split outside. And then Marquez Valdez, Scantling and EQ St. Brown. You know, the, the, the story I always tell with that is you go back to 2015 and 16. You remember the things that Devontae Adams had to weather through early on. You know, it's not just always a finished product with these young receivers. Even if the Packers would have drafted one, that guy wasn't going to be a finished product. You have to be patient with them. Those guys are going to take their licks. And I think the Packers are feeling confident that they could potentially be be guys that fill out that room. So competition wise, I think it is a step up from last year, despite the fact that maybe they didn't get that big, attractive free agent name. And obviously they didn't use one of their top three picks on the position. Yeah, I think there's a really you know easy story to tell here too. And you know, yes, I think you can make an argument that maybe they lack that ideal number two receiver that could you know kind of play beside Devontae Adams and maybe maybe be a little bit more of a playmaker. But you know, how how are they kind of kind of go about acquiring that player? You know, so in free agency, they just didn't have you know the the huge chunks of free agent money uh, that they had available previously. A lot of that is because they spent a ton of money uh, in 2019, and they know they're going to have to spend a ton of money in 2021 with the free agent 
agents that are upcoming. So they go a little bit on the cheaper side, they get Devin Funches, and then you look at the draft. So, you know, as you've just, you know, eloquently put the, the issue is not depth at wide receiver. They have as much depth at wide receiver as anyone in the league would ever need. They can go, you know, six, even maybe seven guys deep if Reggie Begleton can kind of turn into something potentially. Um, so they, they have the depth. It's just kind of filling in that high end playmaker position. And in the first round, you know, not only were those top four guys that everyone was kind of in love with gone by pick 20, what, 21, 20 ish. And, you know, but also Jalen Rager was gone. Uh, Brandon Ayuk was gone. You know, there's six guys gone by 25 and they, yes, maybe they could have moved back and, and got a Denzel Mims, a Michael Pittman, someone like that. Um, but that's probably not the ideal, you know, number two wide receiver that you were looking for in the first place. Exactly. I think they probably would have went after maybe that type of player in the second round if they were there, but all those guys, there was a little bit of a run right before their second round pick. Um, so they go with AJ Dillon. And then after that, anyone that you pick at that point, whether it's in round three or seven or anything in between, it's just going to be a guy that's competing and probably behind guys like EQ, MVS, Alan Lazard from even from a talent standpoint and, and certainly behind the eight ball when it comes to actually already being within the system and learning the system and earning Aaron Rodgers trust. So they didn't need the depth. They needed maybe that high end guy. And I just don't know that there was ever that opportunity for them to get that type of player. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite story uh, after the draft, especially the, the first night when the Packers took Jordan Love was everybody was like, why didn't they take Denzel Mims? Well, then Denzel Mims goes like what, two spots ahead of them in the second round I mean like just because a guy's a receiver doesn't mean the value makes sense there at 30 or 26 me personally you can go back and look at on our website I mean I I had Brandon Ayuk that was one of the guys I was really high on I thought he potentially could be there for them I did a 10 you know players to look at kind of story and he was the guy I used the cover photo on but it doesn't always work out that way and yeah I I think that the other point you raised there is an important one it's a salient one in that you know the Packers have drafted a lot of mid-round and late-round receivers as of late. I think before last year, I want to say it was something like 13 in the last six drafts or something wild like that past the fourth round. So if you're not going to get one right off the bat, what is really the point of taking another one later on when you have EQ coming back and he's still only 23? I mean, if that guy would have been a redshirt senior at Notre Dame, he'd first be in this year's draft class. Um, you know, you have Valdez Scantling. I, you know, they have some undrafted free agents. I think they're they're high on. And then certainly, as you mentioned too, Begleton, who is pretty well accomplished coming from the CFL route. There's enough guys to look at in that room that I, I don't know if you necessarily needed to just have another one in the sixth round or the seventh round just for the sake of saying, hey, we took a wide receiver. Now, the beautiful thing about this, Andy, though, is that Whatever you believe, whatever I believe, whatever the average fan believes, we're all going to find out. We're, we're going to see what this looks like. Is, is Josiah DeGuara going to become a playmaker? Is A.J. Dillon going to become a dominant you know, power running back in this league? If they do, there's really no discussion here on whether or not the Packers made the right choice because you can only invest in what you know today. So, And if they don't, That'll be something I'll hear about for years to come after that. So, I mean, it's it just whatever we say, it's not going to change the fact that this is the direction of the offense. This is the way that the snaps were allotted last year. And the Packers, for all intents and purposes, are pressing forward with this vision under Matt LaFleur of a lot more complexity and a lot more personnel packages. Yeah. And honestly, I think that's the right way to go. And I think they had some success with it last year. And I think they're going to even, you know, morph more into his philosophy this year. And, you know, ultimately at some point when you hire a new head coach, you have to let him build out his vision, build out his philosophy and, and kind of let him do his thing. I mean, that's obviously why you put faith in in him in the first place. And, you know, certainly I know it's just based off of one season, but, you know, for the most part, he's, he's earned the ability to kind of run what he wants to run and and certainly had a very successful first year. So as time goes on, it's going to be more on him uh, as he kind of develops 
develops his offense and kind of builds things out. But he, he certainly seems up to the challenge so far, and I'm excited to see what they're going to be able to do with all those different personnel packages. Yeah. Um, I, you, you kind of mentioned AJ Dillon, and this pr- probably brings us to your other article that you recently posted. Um, every once in a while, somebody posts an article, and I get really mad because I'm like, how how did I not think of that? It's such a great topic. Why why did I not? You know, but it's just so obvious. You know, in, in a great way. The, the stable of running backs that Green Bay has been able to build uh, is really impressive. You know, having an Aaron Jones, an A.J. Dillon, a Jamal Williams, even past that, a Tyler Irvin, a sixth-round pick, and Dexter Williams, an undrafted free agent I know they like. So uh, tell us about that article and, and what you kind of saw in this running back group that that kind of had that article come to fruition. Yeah, this was a conversation that Mike Spofford, uh, my colleague, and I had immediately after uh, we had one of the media availability days. I think it was the one with Nathaniel Hackett. And, you know, I said to him, I'm curious how many times the Packers played with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams on the field at the same time. And when I found out it was 19, I was curious why maybe they didn't do that more. And Spoff brought up a good point. He said, you know, I think in some ways, and this is just speculation, we don't know this, but it stands to reason that LaFleur might have had a similar idea that Mike McCarthy did, which was you never wanted to put yourself one player away from being out of a position. So they were very deliberate in how they used those two guys last year in making sure that both were healthy and both were going to be able to stay fresh. What I think what I'm going to be interested to track here in 2020, knock on wood, everything, you know, plays out, you know, on the field. I'm going to be interested to track how many of those two running back packages the Packers do this season. I could see them upping that. They they did 19 of those last year and they scored on five of them. Uh, I think you have three guys in Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, and then certainly with A.G. Dillon. They all have different skill sets. And this is that vision that I think Matt LaFleur and a lot of coaches have in this league right now. This is no longer one guy carrying the ball 300 times a season. You know, Larry Johnson having 454 carries in a season. That that time has passed. They, they want to be able to spread the ball around. They want to be able to give defenses different looks. And I think A.G. Dillon does that. And then obviously... I, I mean, I, you also have to talk about, you know, the elephant in the room, both Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are going to be free agents after this year. So it also gives you some security from that standpoint as well. So I, I just like the way they've built this thing. I think you're going to see them give multiple looks. Matt LaFleur is very careful with what he says. He doesn't give away a lot of hints, but he went to the podium in Indianapolis in February and he literally told everybody he wanted a third option for that backfield. They went and got it in the second round. And seeing how those three players, along with possibly Tyler Irvin, all mesh and, and build together, I, I wrote it in the story. I think that this could be the deepest running back group the Packers have had in 15, 16, 17 years. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And, you know, you you mentioned about the times where Ada, or, uh, excuse me, when Williams and, uh, and Aaron Jones were on the field at the same time. Of course, at the end of the season, we started to see a little bit more with Tyler Irvin lined up in some of those packages as, as almost like a pseudo wide receiver gadget type player as well. I'm also interested to see if potentially with like an A.J. Dillon in the backfield, if they couldn't use maybe even Aaron Jones a little bit more in that role as kind of that slot gadget right. type player who's coming around on jet sweeps and reverses. Because, you know, I, I really like Tyler Irvin. But no disrespect to Tyler Irvin, he's not Aaron Jones. And uh, you know, if you can get Aaron Jones in some of those sweeps in in the open field, it has the potential to be even more dangerous. Which, oh by the way, when you're watching for that and keeping an eye out for that, you know, maybe some of those holes in the middle of the field for a guy like AJ Dillon, who has the strength, the power, the speed to kind of complement everything. I just think there's so many different options that this this offense has open to them with adding players like AJ Dillon, you know, Josiah Deguera, uh, and even potentially you know guys that they acquired late last year like a, a Tyler Irvin. There's the the sky's the limit for what they're going to be able to do, and if you 
you start getting into this season and all of a sudden you do have positive COVID tests, injuries, we already know that the, the entire season is a war of attrition already. Having the depth like that at a position like that is just going to be so monumentally important in my opinion. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the other aspect of this too that I think you have to look at um, – you know, Aaron Jones, what he did last year, if I'm a coach, if I'm one of the Packers assistant coaches, you know, Ben Sermons, his position coach, I want more of that. I mean, he's going to one way or another, Aaron Jones is going to make himself a lot of money next year and he's going to earn every single penny of it. He's going to deserve every single penny of it because he's been a self-made player. He came in as what a lot of people thought was going to be kind of a scat back, maybe sort of a, you know, a gimmicky kind of player. Well, that first two years, he proved he could be more than that. Last year, he proved he could be a pass catcher. He's improved his pass protection every year he's been in the league. And honestly, when you talk about these these running backs who can do it all now, I put Aaron Jones in that category. I think that's why he is a Pro Bowl caliber player right now in this league because of last season. He showed he can run a slant. It's not just him trickling out you know, when there's no incoming middle linebacker blitzing and just getting open. No, I mean, literally, this guy was running legitimate routes for this offense, and he was coming up big. Uh, another thing I wrote in that story, and I don't have the exact statistics in front of me, but just the substantial jump that the Packers made in their passes to running backs and their production off of those passes. It was huge. Jamal Williams has already been doing that for a couple of years now, but I thought Aaron Jones showed that yeah, he can be a number two, number three type receiver in this offense. He can be a guy that helps you move the football. And, you know, the number of guys that you can put into that huddle and, and make a defensive coordinator really think about what they're looking at that's where the that's going to be what makes this offense valuable. That's going to be what makes them dangerous, just like what New England did for the last few years, and obviously what Baltimore and San Francisco have done. The more options that you have, and the more dangerous that those options are, the more that you know you're going to be able to find holes in a defense and really capitalize on them. Yeah, it's tough not to be excited about it. Just the different options, the unique ways that they're going to be able to use them and just kind of Matt LaFleur's vision all kind of coming together. You know, it, it took all of, I think, about 24 hours for a lot of people to kind of digest what that the draft actually meant. I know a lot of people were expecting wide receivers. Certainly a lot of people weren't expecting a quarterback. But I think when you kind of put the entire vision together, it was a lot easier to digest and it was a lot easier to understand exactly what they were trying to accomplish and really help, you know, build out this offense, not only now, but for long term and into what they wanted to look like in, in the Matt LaFleur system. So I, I love the marrying of concepts of, of getting the players that are going to fit within the system. And it certainly seems like they did a really great job of that this offseason. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's cool too, because the, the great thing about the draft, no matter what happens, I mean, I always joke around with this. My first year officially covering the draft, I've been covering the draft for the Press Gazette going back to 2010. But in 2013 was the first time I was actually, quote, on the beat. And I'm one of the guys that has to make a prediction. And I predicted they were going to draft Dayton Jones, right? And I'm just walking all high and mighty. Pete Doherty has all these scouts. He's talked to all these executives. Well, Pete picked them to take Eddie Lacy in the second round. And I never let him hear the end of this because I'm like, hey, we both got it right. It's just that, well, I'm sure he picked Eddie Lacy to go in the first round, but then he ended up going in the second to Green Bay. And I always joked with him. I'm like, well, we both got the pick, right? Mine was just the right round. And Pete kind of like said, okay, yeah, you'll see. You'll see soon enough. So then the next <laughs> six years have played out after that, and I haven't even come close, I don't think, to any of these picks ever since then. I certainly wasn't anticipating Jordan Love, but that's what makes the draft so compelling. It's what makes the NFL so great, because no matter what the pundits say, no matter what you think as someone covering this team, and I'm, you know, you're experiencing that now too, it, it, you really can't compare to what's happening in that front office, what's happening with that coaching staff and the real direction uh, that they're looking towards. And all we can do, the Packers had nine draft picks. All we can do right now is just nod our head, say yes, and in three to four years, start to decide whether or not it was the right moves. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. The The last correct uh, draft pick that I had, uh, first round draft pick for the Packers was also Dayton Jones. Yeah. So we're 100% on the same boat there. So uh, it's, it's not easy to do. I'm I'm still upset that I didn't get the Rashawn Gary one right because it makes so much sense in hindsight. But yeah. uh, that's another topic for another day. <laughs> uh, another uh, great article that you had recently was uh, kind of about Jair Alexander and, and kind of about the, the defensive coaching change with Jerry Gray. Um, and just kind of potentially Jair Alexander taking that next step. I think we've all seen the flashes and what Jair is capable of, um, but some of that consistency, you know, just isn't always there. You'll see him give up some completions that are somewhat surprising at times. And it's not that it's bad. You know, he's a fantastic corner one way or the other, but he shows flashes of being a Pro Bowl, if not all pro level type cornerback. Um, do you think he can take the next step and, and kind of go over that article a little bit? Yeah, I really do, Andy. And, and the thing I love about Gray coming in now into Green Bay, and this is no disrespect to to Joe Witt and obviously, you know, Jason Simmons, who were with the organization for both of them like a decade each. Um, I, I just really like a new, fresh set of eyes on the secondary. And Gray is one of the best. I mean, as I wrote in that story and as you heard about on that conference call, I mean, this is a guy that's worked with north of a dozen pro bowlers, all pros at that position and in, in corner cornerback and safety and his credentials and the amount of pelts that he has on the wall, being able to mix that experience with a young guy like Alexander, who's still only what 23 just turned 24. Maybe. I mean, this is one of the, the real great prospects that I think the Packers have had. And obviously was the first pick that Brian Gutekunst made, as you said, it hasn't always been perfect, but at the same time, just how many guys have been thrown in there as a shutdown type cornerback, 21, 22 years old, right off the bat in asked to swim. I mean, there was no real secondary option. I mean, they, they fell into a couple positions the last couple of years where you had 35 year old Tremont Williams playing perimeter cornerback. And that's almost unheard of in the league. Now they needed Jair Alexander to eat these snaps. They needed him to be able to play every single down. And he just has this, this tenacity and this motor and this kind of internal drive that I think is going to make him a really successful cornerback in this league. The two things that I think he probably needs to work on next year, where, as you said, was probably the consistency side of it, you know, being able to every single down, that's kind of what Sam Shields was eventually able to master, right? Like just having that, okay, you got the skill, you got the speed, you got the talent. Can you do it down in and down out and be a four corner quarterback cornerback, excuse me. And I think Jair has that. The second thing is the interceptions. I mean, you saw some of those stats about the dropped interceptions. They're right there for him. And I think he could have very easily had a similar season to what, you know, Kevin King did in the stat column if he was able to pull off a couple of those. Once he starts doing that, you're going to have to watch out for this guy because he's just such a tenacious competitor. He, and it's something I hope to explore one of these years or one of these days, you know, kind of looking at his past and how it shaped him. But this is the guy that every single thing that's happened in his life affects the way he plays this game of football. And I just think he's a special talent. I think having a guy like Jerry Gray come in now, and as he said, he looks at him kind of seeing some Samari role traits in him. And, you know, he mentioned D'Angelo Hall. I mean, some of these guys that were really solid cornerbacks in his, their day that, Alexander can be held in that same breath when everybody these days is so careful with using comparisons. I think that speaks to their confidence in him in Green Bay and also where they feel like he can take this thing once his talent really starts to meet the production. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. He's absolutely one of my favorite players to watch on tape. And it's it's kind of one of the reasons I really enjoy, you know, getting to watch it and go in more detail is because, you know, when you just watch the games, so many times, especially at the cornerback position, you notice them when they get beat, right? But um, there's so many times where he is just having absolutely sticky coverage on the wide receiver. He's staying with them. His fluidity is amazing. He's just such a fun player to watch. And I agree. I think he's ready to take the next step. He has all the talent. Uh, I agree with you. It's just kind of consistency and finish some of those plays and hopefully getting some more interceptions. But uh, the playmaking's there. I think if Green Bay has the ability to kind of keep their opponents in, in more third and long situations and kind of stop the run on earlier downs, it's going to allow Zadarius and Kenny and Preston and those guys to hunt even more. I think that's going to equate to more interceptions and turnovers on the back end as well. And I think a guy like Jair Alexander could have a potentially huge season if that could come to fruition. So I think it's an exciting uh, season for this defense as a whole, especially if they can be a little bit more stout against the run, uh, something that'll certainly be, you know, We'll, we'll have to wait and see if they can actually do that. Uh, but I, I'm excited and especially for Jair's development. Yeah, the run is going to be the thing that I probably have the biggest question on, like a lot of people, uh, just because of, you know, there weren't a ton of transactions that they made there. There was something that they saw on film in, you know, February and March that made them feel like they had the right personnel. They just need to match it to the way they're defending it. But to, to close on Alexander, the other thing I like too, and, and you might have noticed this as well, but the guy, especially if you listen to him in the locker room, uh, he's not a guy that enjoys having 30 cameras around him. But if you really talk to him and you, and you really get a feel for this guy, he has an unwavering, unshakable confidence about himself and about his game. That's the X factor at that position because what that holds up. If you get beat, if you give up a play, because you can come back the next play and you can defend just like it didn't happen. You know, you hear that term kind of thrown around, and I've seen it in Green Bay myself. And it isn't really true until you see it tested on the field that that a cornerback can do that. And Alexander fits that mold. Tremont Williams fit that mold. And to see that in a guy at 21, 22 years old, I just think that that, you know, a lot of things have to line up. Obviously, health is going to be a big one for him, making sure he can stay healthy into his 20s here. But, you know, to, to be able to to have that sort of swagger about himself, you just can't coach that. You can't teach it. And it's something that you just can't make yourself confident. You have to feel that confidence. And Alexander certainly does that. Yeah. When I'm watching uh, college cornerbacks and trying to, you know, get a feel for what they might be in the NFL. It's one of the first things I absolutely look for is that confidence and that swagger. And just that you get beat one play and you're just coming out to compete even harder on the next play. And I definitely think that that's uh, something that uh, Jair has in spades and you, it, you don't even have to be an expert to look at it and see it and, and know that it exists. It's just there. And it's, uh, it's something that's really fun to watch with him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's special too, because again, it's, it's something that with this defense, if you have a cornerback like him, if, if he really grows into that perimeter spot and once you get to a point where you can just slide a cornerback in there, like the Packers did with Tremont Williams and, you know, and also with uh, Sam Shields for so many years, and you can just forget about that position. That is just so valuable, um, you know, because it takes away a side of the field. It takes away one of the offensive sort of strongholds. And if you go back, Andy, you look at the last 15 years when Charles Woodson was in his prime and Al Harris was in his prime. And, you know, when the Packers defense has been at its best, they've had those cornerbacks that are just, okay, that's the guy, you know, it's the guy and he's going to do his job for 60 minutes. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And uh, again, I'm really excited to see what he's going to be able to do uh, this upcoming season. So it's something to definitely keep an eye on. Uh, let's kind of jump over. We'll do, do these maybe a little bit more lightning round, but I want to pick your brain on a couple of these topics. Um, so first of all, your biggest surprise of the offseason. 
Um, I guess my biggest surprise, it wouldn't be free agency. I know a lot of people were surprised about free agency, but as you as alluded to earlier, um, the Packers, there's a tidal wave coming next spring. Uh, they have so many of their core guys are going to be coming up for contracts. This wasn't going to be the year to, to go out to the grocery store and start spending all your money. You got to save it, what you have of it, and you got to be prepared for what's coming down the pipeline. Um, that being said, I was, I was, my biggest surprise would be the quarterback deal. Um, it was funny. Like I told you, I wrote that 10 prospects to keep an eye on story. I was so much in the camp that the Packers weren't going to take a quarterback. I didn't even bother writing about a quarterback for the first round pick. I ended up just looking at James Morgan and some of the middle round guys that could potentially be a draft choice. So to go that direction, it did, you know, kind of make me surprised. But again, I just don't know if, you know, I think it's going to take a number of years to really understand everything that went into that. You know, you go back to 2005 and you hear those stories about, you know, Aaron Rodgers was the last guy with a first round grade uh, when Ted Thompson drafted him. You just never know. You never know everything that went into it. So to go that direction was probably my biggest surprise just based upon, um, you know, I've never seen it, Andy. I in all my years that I covered the team and even when I was at the Press Gazette before that, once Aaron Rodgers in 2008 proved himself as a starting quarterback. It never was something that even crossed your mind uh, for them to look at one early on. So to finally press that button, uh, that was something that I didn't anticipate. But, you know, it's the direction they went. And and certainly you look at the way that this thing is going to go and how uncertain this offseason was, you know, to to have a third quarterback in there now with Tim Boyle and Rodgers, it maybe isn't the worst thing in the world with, uh, you know, everything that's hovering over our heads right now. No, it certainly could, you know, is not. And it certainly could be something that uh, is beneficial to the team going forward. Um, For me, I'm going to go back to something that you mentioned a little bit earlier. And and certainly people who have listened to me on this podcast are going to probably know what I've said already. But going into the offseason, I said 1A was trying to fix their own defense and add, you know, know, potentially players up front on that defensive line. I still shudder to this day to think what could potentially happen if Kenny Clark is out for any, you know, significant period of time. Um, So the fact that they went and really avoided defensive line outside of a a minimum free agent signing in Trayvon Hester and then uh, at inside linebacker basically just swapped out Blake Martinez for Christian Kirksey and then, uh, you know, get a linebacker in what the fifth round Um, outside of that, they, they basically stayed, you know, pretty status quo. And, and that for me is definitely still the most surprising part of this offseason, just because I, I went back and again, people have, have heard me talk about this quite a bit, but in the four games they lost, the two against San Francisco, the Chargers game, and then the Eagles game, they could not stop the run in any four of those games. And they lost four games yeah. in, in large part because they couldn't stop the run. And it, it just seemed to me that that was a pressing need, especially again, if something were to happen to Kenny and uh, they didn't do much about it. So that that was by far my most surprising part of the offseason. Yeah, it's a fair point. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's funny, too, when you go back and look at it, because, you know, it went 24 years. I think it was that the Packers took at least one defensive lineman. I think it was like maybe 95 or 96 the last time they didn't actually draft one. And then out of all the years that everyone's just kind of pointing towards the run defense, this is the year they don't do it. Uh but here's the thing. This is where it also bleeds into probably my biggest question of what they're going to do this offseason. Where is Kenny Clark playing? What downs is he playing on? And what is your percentage that you're looking to have him on the field? They've had him on the field north of 80% the last few seasons. And while that is an incredible tribute and credit to Kenny to be able to handle that workload and still be as productive as he's been, especially in third downs, you need somebody to be able to help pick up that load. Kingsley Kiki, this is going to be a huge year for him. They're going to need him to jump up and make a step. I thought you saw a glimpse of it 
late last year, but can he do that more consistently? And obviously Dean Lowry got the extension last year. Dean is, has been a, you know, a tried and true blue collar guy, very important, very durable, but can you get back to where he was kind of trending towards at the end of the 18 season? That's kind of what I'm looking for because you know, in addition to everything he does in terms of the consistency side of things, Dean was starting to make some plays during that that run as well. Can you find ways wherever that is lining him up to to be able to maybe get a little bit more out of him in that way? Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I do think, you know, not only Kenny Clark, but I think Zadarius and Preston, uh, I got to think that they're going to try to limit their snaps a little bit more, especially after those three played so many snaps a season ago. I think you'll see more Rashawn Gary, more Kingsley Kiki. Some of those younger guys have to step up so that if you do make a, a playoff run, hopefully those guys are a little bit more fresh towards the end of the year. Uh, we talked about a few positions so far, but is there a position battle specifically that you're most looking forward to as, as training camp and the season kicks off? Well, there's two of them. Uh, the, the first one is nickel cornerback. Can, can Chandon Sullivan be that guy? Um, I, I've, if you go back, you can ask Spofford. I'm not, I'm not trying to toot my own horn cause it's going to sound like I am, but I just want to talk about the guy's potential and his ability. Uh, Chandon Sullivan to the two guys I, I pointed out last year during training camp to Spoff that really impressed me were Alan Lazard and Chandon Sullivan. And the reason I like Chandon so much is if you go back to his combine, uh, the numbers he put together, it wasn't all perfect, but his 40 time, his vertical, uh, the guy really jumped off the page and yet was completely forgotten about on the during draft weekend. And if you look at where he ranked against some of the other cornerbacks that were taken, uh, I was just blown away by the fact that, I mean, would anybody like to draft this guy? Would anybody like to develop this guy? And then you go back and saw what he did his rookie season with Philadelphia, they brought him up to the roster. He started one game for them. And then after the draft in 19, they just cut the guy. There's a 90 man roster and they just shoved him out the door and he comes to green Bay. And I mean, every single week, whether it was in practice or whether it was in, you know, the, the preseason games, he earned his spot. And by all accounts right now, unless something's going to change with Tremont Williams here in the next couple of weeks, it looks like Shannon Sullivan's going into the summer as, as the presumptive nickel cornerback. Can he hold on to that job? Uh, at least that's the way it looks on paper. So that that's the first thing in terms of, you know, who competes for those roles? What is that looking like? Can Josh Jackson make another run uh, after I still feel like he, he has a lot of potential out there? But I mean, l- l- let's be real. When we talk about, you know, position groups and, and competition, that inside linebacker spot, not only who is the guy that's lining up next to Christian Kirksey, but can that guy stay on the field? Uh, can that guy be a guy that plays nickel passing downs? They've gone to this hybrid safety thing, and it has worked at times. Certainly the 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 heyday of that was with Dom Capers and, and Morgan Burnett. But can 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 it be Oren Burks? Can can it be Ty Summers? Can they get a guy that they don't always necessarily need to go down to the 210-pound safety? A guy that can, you know, play a little bit more than just on the run, uh, you know, downs and you know, it looks like the last two years, Oren Burks has been that guy, and then he's had an injury that's popped up. I'm really interested to see if this could be the year where Oren really grabs that job and holds on to it. Because from a mental aptitude, you know, wise, he checks all the boxes. From an athleticism aspect, he checks all the boxes. It's just coming down to the durability spot at the position and showing that he can stay on the field and play fast enough. That that's going to be the biggest key for Oren because he was drafted in the third round for a reason, and he fit. So many different needs for the Packers at the time. Seeing if he can finally grab onto that number two job and really hold on to it is going to be the biggest thing I'm looking forward to whenever this team gets back together. 
Yeah, I think that inside linebacker spot is definitely the the conversation. Just who plays next to Kirksey? And again, you know, Kirksey hasn't exactly made it through a season recently. So if he has to go out, you know, how do those guys step up? How is you know potentially a guy like Raven Green uh, back involved in some of those nickel and dime situations? So uh, I'm right there with you. And then kind of going back to what you were saying, um, I I will be the first to admit uh, I was. Uh, I biffed it a little bit on Alan Lazard. Uh, I had, think I was on a show with Aaron Nagler, and this was before I think the the second and third preseason games where he started to kind of show up a little bit more. But I said I think he was like number ten or eleven on my wide receiver list at that point. So uh, I definitely biffed that one. But Chandon Sullivan, I was right there with you. Um, I, I just tweeted out actually yesterday uh, a bunch of different tweets that I had throughout camp and things like that of different plays that Sullivan made and how impressed I was by his training camp. And uh, he was definitely a standout for me. And I just you know kind of stated, you know, he made plays almost every day in camp just to get himself in the conversation to make the team. He makes the team, he gets on the field. And what does he do? He starts making plays right away when he gets on the field, the big interception in Dallas. Um, I'm so excited about him. You know, I think you always have to kind of try to curb those expectations a little bit because it was just, you know, what, three, 400, maybe it was a little bit more than that, but three, 400 snaps. uh, And we'll see if he can kind of do it on a little bit higher level. But uh, he has given me no indication at this point that he would not be up to task for that. Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing that impressed me about both of those guys, but to speak more directly on, on Lazard was, you know, in training camp, you get a chance to, to really get in that, that green mile, whatever you want to call it now, the auxiliary locker room, you get a chance to talk to these guys and Alan Lazard. And you definitely got a sense for this once he was established, but he's just the guy that's incredibly comfortable in his own skin. And that is such a rare attribute for undrafted players and guys that are kind of trying to make the team. You know, guys will act confident. They'll say the right things, but you can hear it in their voice. You can you can tell it when they're on the practice field. Lazard is just a guy that will sit down. He will talk with you, and he just has such a deep perspective of the game. And he's been overlooked by everybody. You know, he he goes to Iowa State. His dad played there. He has rich bloodlines. He produced every single year he was there, and then he gets done. And everybody just thinks he's this hybrid, not quite a receiver, not quite a tight end. Where does he fit? Well, he changes his diet up, he gets his weight down, and he just does every single thing that was asked of him to make the team, and then he doesn't make the team. I mean, there's so many different things that worked against him, and yet he found a way, and when you look at undrafted success stories, you can look at all of them, not just in Green Bay, look at them throughout the league. It's those guys that have those intangibles that they know who they are, they know who they're supposed to be, and they stick to that. Those are the types of qualities that you look for in those late round guys and those those flyers. And Lazard has all of it because the thing is, is things are going to go bad at some point. He's going to have a drop that he's not going to have a good game. Can you bounce back from that once the Cinderella story is over? And I think he really showed that last year. and I think he's going to be able to show that moving forward. And that, you know, when you talk to these guys a little bit, and you get to know their personalities. You, you start to appreciate why they are where they are and why they potentially have a chance to, to not only make this team, but make an impact. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. He was actually on our podcast recently and was fantastic. And you could just tell all those intangibles that he had and, and just kind of the impact that he's ready to make. And, uh, you know, I think he's going to be around for good. I wrote an article recently about how I don't think he's going to follow in the, um, you know, Geronimo Allison and undrafted free agent uh, footsteps of others. I think he's made a name for himself and I think he's going to stick uh, for the foreseeable future. So uh, hopefully I get him right after maybe not being so right on him in training camp uh, last season. All right, a couple quick ones. Uh, Tim Boyle on the 53 this year? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I've been really uh, very bullish about this. Uh, listen, man, look at what is happening in our world right now. Um, certainly, I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but 
I, to be honest with you, man, if I'm any NFL team, I think I have three quarterbacks on my active roster. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how the season's going to unfold and, and what you're going to need. So I, I just think with with having Jordan Love, it's important to develop him. It's important once he gets to Green Bay, giving him some snaps and getting this guy a chance to to start to begin his maturation process. But you also want a guy that's been in the trenches with Rodgers, and, and Tim Boyle is that. And listen, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, when you're looking at how this new CBA is lined up, you're going to have this flexibility now with this 54th and 55th roster spot to to bring up guys from the practice squad week to week basis, guys that can fill out the special teams depth chart. So I think there's going to be a little bit more fluidity with how teams use that number three quarterback spot where they don't necessarily need to keep that guy on the practice squad if per se he's not you know, a guy that you're worried about having on the roster. So if based on everything we've seen and dealing with the shortened off season, I'm still under the, I would be stunned, uh, you know, barring just a complete meltdown during the preseason or training camp, I'd be stunned if Tim Boyle's not on this 53. Yeah, hundred percent agree. I think it's it would be more of an interesting conversation uh, if if the current state of affairs were not the way that they were. But if they, you know, with it being the way that it is, I, I, to me, there's zero question. I, I don't even know, especially if there's no preseason, no, you know, and limited. You know, we already know no rookie camp, no OTAs. I mean, I don't even know how how ready Jordan Love can be, uh, you know, week one, week two, you know, early in the season to be ready to come in and be a backup quarterback. I mean, I know he's super talented uh, and I know that he's had the ability to put in maybe some more mental reps this off season and learn the offense a little bit more, but man, it's so important to be in the huddle with those guys and throw them routes. And uh, it's just going to be really interesting to see if he's even, you know, ready to, to play and lead an NFL offense that early in the season, even with, you know, how much talent he has. So a hundred percent agree. I definitely think Boyle is going to be on the roster. Yeah. I just, I, if it's me, I just don't want to mess, you know, and, and that goes for Green Bay. It goes for all 31 other teams. I, I think it was Bruce Arians, right? That had that statement about, you know, maybe they're going to quarantine off their, their third string quarterback, just depending on what happens this year. You got to be ready for those scenarios. And, you know, Jordan loves on this roster. Aaron Rodgers is on this roster. If adversity strikes, or do you want to suddenly throw Jordan love into those situations? I, I don't, I don't think you necessarily do. No, I agree with you. All right. Uh, last one on this one uh, for the kind of the lightning around here. Any uh, 2020 breakout candidates that you have or, you know, one or two, however you want to go about it. Josh Jackson. I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to keep saying it until he's not on this roster and I'm proven wrong. I, Dude, what Josh Jackson did at Iowa, you can bring back the film. That wasn't a fluke. That was a playmaker. And I know his 40 time wasn't the fastest. It's why he ended up falling to the Packers where he did. But you know, here's the thing about Josh Jackson that differs from a lot of these second round cornerbacks that go in, have a rough go of it, and then just disappear. Uh, last year did not go according to plan. He has this foot injury right at the beginning of camp. He starts on NFI and he falls behind on the depth chart right off the bat. Doesn't hardly play at all. He's a healthy scratch in one game, even though I, I've personally felt like he's one of their better special teams players, particularly as a gunner. Uh, and he never let it get to him. He never hung his head. He just kept the same mentality. He's a very even keeled guy. He's not a lot of, you know, pomp and circumstance and he's not extremely expressive, but he's steady. And, you know, while I do believe that Shannon Sullivan is the guy in that nickel spot, I still think there's a lot to develop there with Josh Jackson. I think if he gets an opportunity, he can show that that senior, you know, his last year there at, at uh, Iowa, you know, that, that wasn't, a blimp on the radar. This is a guy that can play at that level. So he's still the guy I have my eye on. I mean, I guess it'd almost be more like a dark horse, so to speak. Um, 
if you're talking about like just legitimate breakout candidates, like who has the opportunity right now at this moment, it has to be Jay Sternberger though. Uh, this is a guy that I thought came on really strong late last season. Everybody knew he could catch. Everybody knew he could make plays, but when they needed him to be a blocking tight end, he was really good at that uh, for a rookie player in this league. It's not easy to play that position right off the bat and okay, shine. And yeah. everything that could go against him and work against him happened. The the co-practice against the Houston Texans with the concussion and the jaw and all that comes back, injures his ankle, gone for the first half of the season. And he comes back cold. And by the end of December, it has to end up playing this H-back role because Danny Vitale's gone. So uh, what he did and how he ended up finishing the season, I thought was such a strong point. And it goes back to that conversation I had with Mercedes Lewis on lockout, you know, when they cleaned out the locker room. You know, he said, this guy's going to be a good one. And it's not the potential. It's not the production. It's not the speed. It's just how nasty he is and how much he has this willingness to mix it up. That is so key at the tight end position, being willing to put your body out there. And he learned from two of the best. Whatever people think about the, the run that Jimmy Graham had in Green Bay, Graham is one of the best tight ends of his generation. And Sternberger had a year to work with that. Robert Tanyan has had two years to work with him and, and Mercedes Lewis. This is the year where those young tight ends have to really show out. And I, I think Sternberger, everything is set up for him right now to make an impact on this team. Yeah, I uh, I never knew how much that we uh, agreed on things here, Wes, but I had those two names exactly written down on my paper in front of me. Um, I, I tweeted out a little while back. I said, I, until, you know, I, I forget my exact wording, but something to the fact of just Josh Jackson has too much talent to succeed and until proven otherwise, uh, I'm going to continue to believe, kind of like you said, that he, he's going to be able to make something of himself. Definitely a believer there. And then uh, on the offensive side of the ball, I just think based off of opportunity, especially this year, that Sternberger is going to have the opportunity, especially if they do go more condensed formations, especially if they do go more play action. I just think Sternberger is going to actually give them that uh, that weapon at the tight end position who's going to be able to find himself open in some seams, open down the field, just even in the flat. Um, it, it's been a while since they've had a tight end who can take a little uh, throw in the flat and actually turn it up field and make some, make some hay out of it. So I think he has the ability to be that guy, and I'm really excited to see how he's going to progress. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, too, I'm, I'm writing this story for Packers.com on Friday. Uh, it's posting, you know, they had basically, I think it was 792 offensive snaps vacated with Jimmy Graham and Danny Vitale leaving. Somebody has to fill that. I mean, Mercedes Lewis could conceivably get more snaps than the 479 he got last year, but it's going to be on Sternberger or Tanyan or DeGuara or any of these guys. I mean, you still have Evan Bayless in there, too. Some of these guys are going to have to take on those snaps. And who actually takes that opportunity, grabs that brass ring and runs with it. Uh, that guy's set up for a whole bunch of success in this offense and the way that, you know, Matt LaFleur really wants to use that tight end position. Yeah, it's going to be lots of fun to see how that position develops. They have the talent there, I think, for the first time in a long time, and I think there's going to see good results out of it. I got to ask you two last questions before we get you out of here. Um, <laughs> is there a favorite story that you have uh, from your time on the beat so far? In terms of what I've written or just like Rob Domofsky picking fights with other beat writers? Have uh, have at it, man. Uh, I, however however you want to interpret that question, I'm going to let you run with it. No, no, no. I'm not going to put Rob on blast like that. Um, no, I mean, the, the number one story, there, there's two that stick out to me the most. And obviously one of them I wrote last year with, with Mitchell Henry, uh, where I went down to Kentucky. Yeah. Um, the thing that and you're, you're getting a sense of this too now that you're in the locker room with us. I mean, everybody's different and we all have a job to do, but sometimes um, you end up connecting with these cause we're all human. Right. Um, and especially now that I'm on this side of the wall, 
um, I'm not at the newspaper anymore. You start to connect with these guys on more of a personal level uh, than I than I know that I did during my my time at the Press Gazette. And and Mitchell was one of those guys that um, you can ask anybody. It's not just me. Anyone that talked to him, he was such a humble, gentle giant. And you know, I, I don't want to get into a bigger, you know, more macro level conversation, but sometimes you just feel like things happen for a reason. Right. And why I would connect with some, some relatively random, uh, you know, undrafted tight end the way I did with Mitchell, I'll never, I'll never quite fully understand, but I did. And just getting to know him and getting to know his brother, Ben and, and his, you know, his, his beautiful wife, Madison and, and his family, phenomenal people. You never really, appreciate that in the moment. Right. And I joked with Mitchell uh, a couple times about going and catfishing with him in, in Kentucky and where he's from. And, you know, Mitchell breaks his hand again and he does get waved injured and, and everybody just goes about their day and he eventually resurfaces with, with Baltimore. And then you hear what he ended up dealing with and, and uh, you know, the leukemia. So when his dad, when I retold that story and his dad reached out to me in insider inbox. And a lot of times insider inbox can be like the bane of my existence, just making me pull my hair out three days a week. But when I saw that he reached out and offered to take me and mentioned he hadn't gone catfishing since Mitchell had passed. I just got like this cold shiver over me and I was going to go down. Our video department asked if it'd be cool if they went down and the, I, I spent three days down there. I wish I could have spent another three. Um, it's, I could do this, Andy, for another 30 years. Uh, that's going to be on my Mount Rushmore of stories I've done. Not anything that I did, not any way I told the story or wrote the story, but just getting a chance and having a family open up their doors to me after dealing with such a terrible... Mitchell went one of the worst ways a human being can go. And you know, to be able to share that experience with them, I will forever be grateful because I that definitely changed me as a person. And... Um, the way I look at professional sports and in our role as kind of conduits to the public um, in that. So that that's, it's incredibly serious and probably somewhat deflating uh, memory, but that being able to to tell that story when it's not an Aaron Rodgers, it's not a Devonte Adams or a Jordy Nelson. It's just a, a human being that was trying to make his way in the world and trying to make a professional career for himself. And to, to have to suffer something like that and how that family worked through, it's something that's going to stay with me for a really long time. Yeah, it was a it was a powerful article, and I appreciate you bringing that up. It was not necessarily the direction I was expecting you to go in, but I'm glad you did because it was just a, a powerful moment and a power, like I said, a powerful article that you wrote. If anyone hasn't had a chance to read it, I'm assuming it's still up at Packers.com where it's accessible. Um, yeah, it's still up there. Um, that, and then also the video package that uh, Adam Hobel Heinrich, our uh, wonderful senior editor uh, in our video department, put together. Um, yeah. I can also tell a funny Domofsky story if you want me to change it, make a little bit of a lighter, lighter tone too. You know, I think I, I would love a, a, you know, a great Domofsky story. I think we were also going to talk from AEW, but I think, uh, you know, after that story, I think that's probably uh, a good place to, you know, kind of end it on. I mean, I'm happy to go in any direction, but um, no, I, I mean, I, I think that's what makes you, you know, the person and the, the reporter that you are. And, um, you know, anyone that knows me, 
I I like to kind of get some of those obscure players. Like one of my favorite things is going out and watching the undrafted free agents yeah. while everyone else is breaking down, you know, Jordan Love and Josiah Deguer and AJ Dillon. I love doing that stuff too. And that, in fact, that's why I just recently went and, and watched all, all the snaps of Love is because when the draft's over, I kind of like going and, and researching some of those more unknown guys because just some of the stories there are incredible. Some of the people are great. Some of the, I mean, Tim Boyle is just such a phenomenal example of this. Yeah. The guy was a top recruit out of high school. He goes to U, uh, what UConn. I know I'm trying to blank. I think UConn um, and uh, just struggles. Yeah. Struggles mightily is a touchdown interception was a nightmare. I mean, he, you look at his stats, the guy has zero right of even getting signed to a, 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 a you know, rookie mini camp tryout. And uh, he somehow some scout still sees him, still sees the potential. He, go, you know, he goes to uh, a lower level school. He has some level of success, still struggles with the turnovers. Yeah. And then I go the very first day uh, that I was able to go. Um, uh, it wasn't rookie mini camp. Uh, it was the first day of OTAs where he's there with Rogers. And I've said this story multiple times. He's there with Rogers. He's there with Hunley who had played the entire previous, well, almost the entire previous season for the Packers and started. He's there with Deshaun Kaiser, second round pick out in Notre Dame who had played the entire previous season for the Browns. And then there's Tim freaking Boyle. And he has no right to have any confidence. He should be in total shock and awe that he's out there with Aaron Rodgers. And if I just was looking out there and watching this player or watching, I didn't know anything about football. And I said, which one's the starting quarterback? Um, not based off of talent, just how they're interacting with others and, and confidence and things like that. I would have said, Tim Boyle is the starting quarterback. He, he just walked with that swagger. He just had that sort of thing. And I, uh, it stood, stood with me and I, I love those stories. I love those type of players. And, and Mitchell Henry's such a, an amazing example of that. Um, even before uh, uh, the, all of the unfortunate stuff did. So uh, I really appreciate you for doing that, writing that article. And if anyone hasn't had a chance to read it, uh, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah. You know, and the other thing too, just to, to close on, on with Tim, you know, I, I had a chance. Uh, I, I wanted to actually, I, I went to Tim in August and I asked him if I could write this story. Cause you know, one thing that nobody really had covered was, okay, he was really bad in college. Everybody knows that, but you know, his parents went to every freaking game. Like mm -hmm. what that was like to see their son, a, a kid that when he was in high school, they won state championships. All he knew was really winning. Well, he goes to UConn and he faces the worst adversity a division one athlete could really ever face. And I think to this day, and, and I hope Tim isn't listening to this. I, I think Tim still does have the, one of the worst, if not the worst passer rating and like FBS history. And I remember asking him about that and, and asking his dad, you know, Kevin about that. And, just how do you lift this kid up and make him just not give up on football altogether? And I mean, th that's what makes undrafted stories, not just not having success, but it's what makes those stories so interesting to me. I know some people in the past have, have kind of ripped on me about, you know, my infatuation with those, but those are the real stories. I mean, you get some of these guys, these first round picks, these second round picks, well, they've just always been the best since they've been a kid and, and they've played on the best teams and they went to the best college and they had, you know, all these opportunities well, it's these Tim Boyles, it's these Mitchell Henrys, it's these Andy Malumbas, it's it's these J. Ron Elliott's, these guys that just come out of relative obscurity to, to to live the dream, even if it is only for a few years. That's what makes the NFL great, because that's where every once in a while, one of those guys turns into Tremont Williams, and it turns into guys that transcend you know, their time and become something bigger. And, and that, for the National Football League, 53-man rosters, 90-man offseason, rosters that's what makes this league so compelling because there's always that chance that one of those diamonds in the rough ends up captivating the imagination and and become something you know that that I think few people thought they could become 
And you look at the last time the Packers won a Super Bowl, Sam Shields, Tremont Williams, Colin Jenkins, I believe Frank Zombo. I'm going to assume Charlie Pepper wasn't drafted. I don't know if that's a fact or not, but they had a lot of undrafted guys that were on that team that uh, contributed. And it's those guys that uh, can kind of, you know, really make or break a season dependent upon how they can step up and make an impact. Yeah, because it's just 16 games and soon to be, oh, soon to be 17. Uh it's just, it's just the way it goes. I mean, you just can't expect unless we start getting into this thing where we start giving bye weeks every four weeks. It's just you can't expect to be able to go through an entire season. Packers came close last year, but it's so tough to have your 22 preferred starters. And that's just the way your season goes. And that's who you play with. You have to have young guys step up. You have to have, you know, certain guys come in and win a game for you uh, in, a, in a clutch moment. And, you know, the Packers have been fortunate to have some of those guys over the years. Yeah, they certainly have. Wes, this was amazing. I know we were going to talk some AEW because we're both big wrestling time, nerds, but uh, I don't want to take yeah, I don't want to take too much of your time here. So we'll get you out of here uh, next time. We'll definitely talk some AEW, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll you know maybe pick your brain on Demovsky next time as well. <laughs> uh, anything that you want to plug on your way out? Um, hey, I'm going to plug that. Hopefully, I'm going to be on vacation here soon enough. Uh, we got I got one more story. Uh, coming out about the Packers tight ends, as I mentioned, uh, that's going to go on Friday. Then Mike Spofford is actually going to grab the baton from me. He's going to do a, a historical so- series for about two weeks, looking at some uh, statistics and, and kind of comparing uh, some different eras of Packers football here since the turn of the century. So that that's going to be something to keep an eye open for. But otherwise, got a couple insider inboxes I have to bang out. I'm going to d- finish up our game program prep for the 2020 season, knock on wood, and then uh, going to try to get out of here a little bit and come back for what I'm anticipating will be the start of training camp. I guess we'll we'll all be kind of holding on to our, you know, our coattails with that a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, well, enjoy your time off. You certainly deserved it. Uh, I spoke incorrectly. Charlie Pepper was a fifth round pick, so Atlanta, it was right? not an emergency. Yeah, who knew? But uh, I appreciate all your time today, Wes. Uh, I can't thank you enough for for doing it. Uh, we'll definitely talk again soon. Uh, and uh, if you, anyone wants to follow Wes, make sure to do so on Twitter at Wes Hod. Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Make sure to check out a brand new episode tomorrow. But until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go! Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, 
Access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.